God, my prayer is that young lady, if it be glorifying to you, God, rise up and walk. Lord, I, I, I long for that day when that sweet young one on her own accord will walk into the church sanctuary to worship you. Now, God, we know that you have a plan sometimes beyond ours. We have trouble understanding it. And, um, God, we, we lay her at your feet. You've told us to do that. You've commanded us to pray. And we are doing that. God, in, in a way that's so precious to her and her family. God, may you, may you be glorified. Lord, if, if, if it is uh, your perfect plan, that you go through life this way, then, God, I pray grace for her that she'll somehow see a, a better plan and a bigger plan. And then for Daddy and Mommy, that, God, you'll encourage their hearts. That, God, you've told us to ask in faith. And, God, I, I don't know what else to do except ask in faith that you walk. God, we know you're the great healer. You're, you are the physician. And we bow this, this knee at the foot of your throne. And we leave it there because we believe in you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Glenn. Let's take our Bibles, okay? We better shift and get in the Word, shouldn't we, huh? Let's take our Bible, and where are we going? What book are we in? Jude. Someone said we're on the eternal plan. Uh, let's go to the book of Jude, okay? And I want you to open up to verse 17. And I tell you, gang, I'm, I'm so glad we're at this point in our study. Uh, Jude, for those who are guests, we're walking through, kind of preaching through, teaching through the book of Jude, and we've had some pretty tough uh, lessons we've had to walk through, but I'm so glad we're here, uh, because there's a shift that we find in Jude. For a while, Jude's been a fiery prophet. Uh, he's been shooting it out pretty, pretty hard and pretty straight the way you're supposed to. But we see a, a shift, not a subtle shift either, a pretty significant shift in Jude. He turns from the, the fiery prophet now into a very tender pastor. You have the sense that the real heart of Jude comes out and he now moves to the, the shepherd of a flock. And the text today is so very, very important to us. It kind of answers the question, okay, after everything you've said to us, now what do we do? And so the title of the message is, What Shall We Do? Every team has to have a playbook. Every business must have a strategy. God's people must have God's word to direct their thoughts, their actions. And gang, everything that Jude has written, he has written, directed it to the text that's before us. 
This today is the heart of the passage, okay? Now, as you do with any lesson, let me take a moment, for, especially for our guests, to get you up to speed, okay? Judas told us that in the last days, toward the end of time, before Jesus Christ makes his entrance back, there's going to be pretenders who would come into the church who would seek to lead people astray. They would strive after their sensual pleasures. By the way, sensual pleasures, we're not talking about just sexual pleasures, okay, or sexual passions. We're talking about the drive of the sensual, the drive of the worldly, the drive of feelings and desires. And, and Judas told us that, that they're going to come in, they're going to be driven by these sensual desires, and they're going to try to get as many others to come alongside and join them in this. And so Judas told the church, he tells us, that we are to contend earnestly for the faith. It's a fight to death for God's truth that was handed down by the apostles in totality. We have all we need of God's truth. We call it the Bible. And Judas told us that we're to contend for God's word. Not that it's going to be easy. Not that we're going to be well-liked. Jude said, regardless of whether you're well-liked or not, we're to contend for God's truth. And Jude then has told us very clearly that judgment is coming. In fact, last week we saw that judgment is so certain that he writes it in the past tense, that it's already come. Now today, beginning in verse 17, here's what he says. Because of all of that and because the pretenders are coming and because you're supposed to be contenders for the truth, here's what you do. And here's what he's going to tell us. He's going to give us one command. And then he's going to strengthen the command with three affirmations. If you're a grammar guy or gal, which you should be, He's going to give us one verbal imperative and then he's going to strengthen the imperative or the command with three participles. Now participles are the ing. The only way I can ever remember that is ing. Okay, So he's going to give us one verbal command, imperative, and then he's going to give us three participles that affirm the command, that actually tell us how to do the command. Now let me tell you about these participles, all of them are present tense. All of them means continual, daily, moment by moment, we are to do so that we can obey the command. And gang, listen to me. Well, let me do it this way. Let me pick on somebody. Rich, why not, brother? When you told your kids something to do, Jake, he's your boy. He's got red hair. So you probably have to say it a little stronger, right? You didn't tell him it's optional, did you? You don't say, you know, Jake, if you feel like it. Or, Jake, you know, I want to suggest to you that you clean up your room. You say, Jake, you red-headed boy, you. 
you got 10 minutes to clean up the room, right? It's not optional. You intend the room to get clean. You with me, church? Well, when we take the precepts of the Word of God, when we take the Bible, we open the Bible, there are some suggestions in the Bible. There are some affirmations in the Bible. But I want to tell you, there are some imperatives. There are some commands in the Bible. And when God gives us a command, it's not optional. He says, you do this. And that's what we're going to talk about, okay? Let's stand in honor of God's Word, and we're going to begin reading Jude, verse 17, and we'll read through verse 21, okay? But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, this is important, in the last time. There will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. By the way, you ought to go back to this letter and circle how many times the word ungodly is used. Okay? It's pretty significant. These are the ones who cause divisions. They're worldly minded. They're devoid of the Spirit. They do not have the Holy Spirit living within them. Verse 20 is really we're gonna, where we're going to be. But you, very strong contrast, as opposed to them, but you, beloved. Now here's an I-N-G word. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Number two, here's an I-N-G word. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, now here's the command. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And then the third participle, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life there. The emphasis is on the consummation or the end when all of God's people will be gathered together up in glory land. Okay, Father, in the next few moments, help me. This is good stuff, God. I don't want to mess it up. Everything in the letter has been pointing to this. God, may I capture it for our people in these last days in which we live, waiting on the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who be glory and power and honor. In his name I pray, amen. All right, thanks. Be seated. Keep your Bibles open, okay? I want to make a couple quick comments before I break down the passage, okay? I want you to notice in verse 17, the reminder. This is the second time that Jude calls him to remember, okay? And basically what he says is you ought to remember the words of the apostles that this is going to happen in the last days. That mockers following their ungodly lusts will come. They have not the spirit of God. They have the spirit of the world. And so I want to say to you as we begin today, church, be aware. Church, be smart. Church, be discerning because we're living in these kinds of times. You better, you better know what you believe. You hear me? It's not my job to pour it into you. It's my job to help you get there. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job to 
to, to force it on you. It's their job to help you be aware of it. But the responsibility lies with you. You've got to be aware. You've got to know today what you believe. You have to discern that, dear people. And if you're not sure, then you need to spend appropriate time to become sure of your core values. Do you know what your core values? I know my Sunday school teacher, I mean my Sunday school class, gets so tired of their Sunday school teacher. They're young, I'm old, I feel like a grandpa teaching punks. But I keep, remi- <laughs> I keep reminding them, you got to know what your core values are. You got to be able to delineate your core values. You ought to be able to write down your core values. Those are that's your worldview. That's going to determine the decisions you make. It's going to determine how you raise your kids. It's going to determine how you do everything in life. And listen, he says, remember, it's going to happen. I say to you, know what you believe. Okay. Second word of introduction. Notice in verse seventeen. The word beloved, that's the fourth time that Jude's going to use this word beloved or beloved in this book. And we find it a pretty prevalent term in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. But what's interesting I learned this week is that most of the time that word is used, it's used with reference to suffering, with reference to those in distress, those undergoing a trial. So it's like the writers of Scripture, when they knew their people were hurting or about to undergo tough times, they were called beloved or beloved. Old Testament example, Abraham was told to take his son, his beloved son, to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there. New Testament illustration. The Bible tells us that that God sent his son, his only son, his beloved son, to die on the cross. So as a tender pastor... Jude says this, my beloved, suffering children, the apostles told us it was going to happen, and it has. So can I maybe take a little bit of authority here from Scripture and say to you, oh, my dear people, my suffering saints perhaps, We were told by writers of Scripture that these days were going to come. They're here. Let's be smart enough to discern it. Let's know where we're at in this history cycle. And let's prepare. And then Jude says, here's what you must do. Notice, first of all, verse uh, 21, the command we're to follow, okay? After telling them to remember, now he tells them to remain. And here's what he says. Keep yourself. Oh, it's bugging me. Which seven? Okay. Keep yourself in the love of God. Gang, that's an interesting statement. Keep yourself in the love of God. It made me scratch my head. What do you think it means? To keep yourself in the love of God. What do you think? Someone help me out. Andrew. What does it mean to keep yourself in the love of God? Ooh. Yeah. I like that. Can we get on this side? 
Always, who said that? Yeah, always have faith in him. Let me give you a, a, I'm kind of a simple guy. Let me give you a, a simple definition, okay? Hang out where God hangs out. Think about that. Hang out where God hangs out. Now, earlier we were told at the beginning that we were kept for Jesus Christ, right? Now, Jude kind of flips the coin, and he wants us to know that while we're kept, we're preserved for Christ. In this relationship, we have a responsibility as well. And it's our responsibility to live where God lives. Gang, listen to me. Devotion and discipline work together in the Christian life. Now, Gang, it's not rocket science, okay? When making decisions about your life, ask yourself, would God be okay with this? Would God hang out here? Would God go there? If the answer is yes, go for it. If the answer is no, then step back and ask yourself, why would he not? Young people, can I tell you something? You're not going to find... The love of God at Billy Bob's on Saturday night, okay? It's not going to happen. When you're trying to make decisions for your life, you've got to kind of think about this. Where can I find God? And where I can find God, that's where I should hang. Did that make sense? I remember years ago, someone was came to me, a guy is lonely as all I get out, and man, I'm looking for a woman, you know? I, I, I want to get married. And I said, well... That's a good thing, I think, maybe. I said, where are you looking? He said, well, I'm going, and he tells me, and what's this thing down the road, electric cowboy? <laughs> and I said, I said, I, I, you're looking there? And I said, you know, I said, hey, you may find someone there. But let me ask you, would you take her home to meet your mama? Okay. It's not rocket science, guys. Where God hangs out, that's where you should hang out. That's what Judah's saying. Can I tell you something I've learned over the years of ministry? When people come, and Andrew, I, I know you, you face this because that's your life. When people come to me, and they, over the years, they've come to me, and they're, they're, they're hurting, and their life's in a mess, and they want help, and they do. They really do. And, and so I begin to try to encourage them and help them. And you know what I have discovered that by far the vast majority that come have no connection to a church, have really no connection to a small group. Now, gang, can I, can I, can I share a strong persuasion I have? I think God hangs out at church. Are we perfect? No. Don's here, Okay. I know we're not. I know. I'm here. I know that. But gang, let me tell you, with all of our imperfections and all of our blemishes, church is the best thing going in the world today. Jesus loved the church, died for the church, and guess what? When he comes back, he's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for the church, you see. Huh? Hang out where God hangs out. Let me tell you, I actually believe small groups. Is incredibly important to you. It's not perfect, I know. But see, that's where relationships are built. That's why at 12 o'clock at night, when something bad happens, you've got a Sunday school teacher. I wish you young folks, you young couples, 
I wish somehow I could just, I wish I could pull them aside, open their mouth and pour Sunday school strychnine into them, you know. Help them understand that when something happens, there's a Sunday school teacher, there's a small group leader that you can call that will come and put their arms around you and love on you as you go through the battles, you see. Most of the folks that come to me, they don't have that. Now, they come genuine, but they don't. Let me give you an example. Say you go to a doctor, and you go to your doctor, and the doctor comes out and says, well, how can I help you? And you say, doctor, I got a tummy ache. And the doctor says, well, let me look at you. So he examines you, and he says, you know what? You got a tummy ache. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some tummy ache medicine. You with me, kids? Tummy ache medicine. Now, you take this tummy ache medicine for three weeks, and you come back to see me, okay? Well, three weeks goes by, and you come back, and the doctor comes out and says, well, how you doing? Doctor, my tummy hurts. I got a tummy ache. He said, really? He said, let me check you. Yeah, man, you got a tummy ache. And the doctor says, you know, I don't understand that. Three weeks ago, I gave you tummy ache medicine. And I told you to take one tummy ache pill every day. And it hasn't helped you? Well, doctor, I meant to. Or doctor, I wanted to. Doctor, I know I was supposed to take a tummy ache medicine. But you know, I just decided that I didn't have time. Or I was busy in life. Or whatever it may be. Now, your doctor's not going to tell you this, but let me tell you what he's thinking. You dummy. You have a tummy ache. I gave you tummy ache medicine, but you're not willing to take the tummy ache medicine, and you can't understand why you're not feeling better. Dang, let me tell you. When your heart aches, you need heartache medicine. You know where you get heartache medicine? Hopefully, you get it at the church with God's people. Dummy. See, it's there for us. And all Jude's not super smart here. He just says, hang out where God hangs out. And if you hang out where God hangs out, maybe your heartaches will be at least manageable. And you have other people who will come along beside you with their heartaches. And together you make it. That's the command he gives to us. Hang out where God hangs out. Now, what's the strategy? What does it take to do that? Well, that's where these three ING words come in. Look at verse 20. The first thing it takes is education. Notice he says, building yourself up on your most holy faith. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about the Bible. That's it. He's talking about the best medicine that's ever been prescribed. He's talking about the scriptures. Whether it's reading it, whether it's studying it, whether it's teaching it, whether it's preaching it, it's the scriptures that help keep us in the sphere of God's love. That's where it's found. Now, I want you to listen to me really. Imp- I'm an emotional guy. I, 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 live on, I struggle with my emotions. I wish I wasn't emotional. I just Sometimes I think I, I got things in me like a woman because I'm so emotional sometimes. And it bothers me, but I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. The heart 
and the emotion of wanting to be good is not enough, people. People who come to see me, Andrew, they, they, want, a, they want a cure, don't they? They wouldn't even be looking at us if they didn't want something. But you see, the emotion of it and the wanting of it is not good enough. There has to be the engagement of the mind for the heart to be transformed. That word building that he used literally is house building. And if you're going to build a spiritual house, there has to be the engagement of the mind, the transformation of the mind. You have to have a blueprint. And gang, you've got to engage the mind to the word of God. That's the foundation. That's the blueprint. When we were trying to make decisions about Sunday school, the reason we went to what we're using now, Warren Wearsby, it was more expensive for us, but the reason we went to Warren Wearsby and the reason we did James and now Matthew and then wherever else Don leads us is because out of all the, the writers currently in our land today, there's none better in a general sense than Warren Wearsby. Here's what we know, that if you'll come to small group, at the end of the study, if you're faithful to that, at the end of the study, you're going to get something from the book of James that Warren Wearsby has written to help you engage your mind to what's going on in your life and what's going on around you. And so Jude, first of all, says, hey, to make this love of God thing work, it takes education. Can I just be very blunt? If you're not in a small group, you're a weak Christian. And I don't want to offend you, but I'm telling you, small group should be where the Word of God is taught. That's, that's as, as important, if not more important, than this, okay? I know I just cost myself my job. But gang, it's important. Oh, I just wish I could get up on Sunday morning and drag you to Sunday school. Through the years, Sunday school has been proven to be that foundation of the discipleship making in the church. Education. Number two, look at verse 20. Insulation. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Now listen, praying in the Holy Spirit is not some magical, mystical thing. It's simply praying depending upon God. And as you pray depending upon God, the Holy Spirit aligns yourself up to God's will. God's will in heaven adjusts our desires on earth. And so as we pray, our desires begin to align with God's desires. It's not magical or mystical or something weird. It's just God changes us in prayer to line ourselves up with Him. Now listen, God's not a Santa Claus that you can go to and ask Him for whatever you want to make you happy. God is a righteous, sovereign God to make you holy. And can I tell you what I found in my life? I found that when I'm holiest, I'm happiest. Does that make sense to you? Man, when I'm, when I'm not holy, I'm not very happy. I'm kind of me. I'm under conviction, you know. Um, my thoughts are not right. My desire for the word's not right. I think things I shouldn't think. And so I get all this conviction. Ah, I'm a miserable camper, you know. 
But I've discovered that when I am holiest, I'm happiest. Why? Because this line of communication that I have with God encourages me and directs me. The Holy Spirit can't encourage you and convict you at the same time. So if you're walking with God, there's encouragement of the Spirit in your life. When you're living in sin, there's conviction of the Spirit to get you right, you see. I've just learned that when I'm holiest, I'm happiest. And Jude said, that's in insulation. You pray in the Holy Spirit, okay? Then verse 21, how much time do I get? Oh, we're doing good. Verse 21, anticipation. Look at verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How? Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you first read those words, waiting anxiously, you get the idea of worry, fretting, and all that, okay? But it's one word in the original, and it carries the idea of patience, of confidence. But it's not a passive word. It means that you reach out and grab life for God, expecting the rescue at any moment. The book of Titus says, called it the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God. You see, gang, if you know something's about to happen, what does it do? It bolsters you, doesn't it? It encourages you. It creates expectancy and excitement. In the morning, my wife and I are leaving for three weeks to see our grandchildren. Well, we'd like to see our son too, but really we're going to see our grandchildren, okay? And let me tell you what's been interesting. My wife's health has been tough this year, and she hurts all the time. And, and you know, as we've been leading up to the trip, we've been kind of moaning a little bit. Oh, man, we got 20-something hours. Don't forget, we got to load up all these. I got to carry underwear and, you know, and all that stuff. And, man, it's going to be a long trip. We're going to be so tired. And so we've been kind of, you know, all that. But you know what happened this week? All of a sudden, we got to thinking, guess where we're going to be Tuesday? Oh, yeah, baby, you know. And all of a sudden, my attitude began to shift from saying, oh, I don't want to do this stuff. Whoa, bring this on. And I've noticed it in my wife, too. We Skyped the grandkids. When are you guys coming? I'm, they call me Potty. Potty, when are you going to be here? When's Nana going to be here? And all of a sudden, we didn't mind throwing underwear in the suitcase, throwing in clothes in a suitcase and standing up on the scales weighing to see if we're overweighted or whatever. Man, all we were thinking about on Monday, we're out of here. Oh, I can't wait to see my boy. I can't wait to see my granddaughter. I can't wait to see my grandboy. I, I can't wait to see my daughter in love. Monday, we're out of here. There's an expectancy. There's an anticipation building within us. And I want to tell you, dear church, blood-bought family of God, in spite of all the challenges we see, in spite of all the problems we may have, in spite of all the, the, the values that are being jettisoned in this world, I want you to know there ought to be an expectancy and an anticipation in our heart because Jesus Christ is coming back for his church, and he's coming soon, I believe, you see. So Jude says, keep yourself, hang out where God hangs out. Do it by education. Do it by appropriation. Oh, but do it by expectation. At any moment, 
Jesus is coming. Now let me summarize all this up. To keep yourself in God's love, especially when it's tough, you've got to have God's scripture. You've got to have God's spirit. You've got to have God's sovereignty. The readers that Jude was writing to needed to know this. Believers all over the, all over the world need to know this as well. I heard, I think, last week, I'm not positive of the exact number, but somewhere around 150,000 people a year give their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. More people dying today than ever before. Gang, 150,000 a year are dying for Jesus, the Savior. They need to know that it's worth it. They need to know there's something better waiting for them. We need to know it in our Western world as well. I understand things are a little different here. But gang, I think we would agree that sin is rampant, that the message is being uh, changed. We see it all over the place. Christian liberty is being challenged. Believers are being mocked and ridiculed. God's values are being jettisoned in our society. In many ways, it may be worse here. You see subtle darkness, the graying of values, the slowly decline of the light of the gospel can be more challenging than the stark contrast of anti-Godism. The fact of the matter is, persecution will never kill the church. If you read church history, it's just made the church stronger. But what Jude wrote about as far as apathy and the breakdown of authority can sure hinder the church. So we need to know that with God, we're the victor, okay? So to keep ourselves in the love of God, we must look inward, building ourselves up on the word of God, praying in the spirit. We must look upward, expecting the return of the Lord at any time, okay? Well, listen, I'm through for a few weeks. I know I told you we were going to be through with Jude before I left. I lied like a dog. <laughs> so, with your permission, when I come back, there's two more passages that I really believe we need to deal with. Verse 22 and verse 23. We'll look at that. And then verse 24 and verse 25, which I think is the greatest benediction, the greatest doxology in all of the Word of God. We'll close our study with that when I get back. Let, let's read that together, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, make you stand in the presence of his, the presence of his glory, blameless, not faultless, blameless. We'll talk about that with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray, okay? He's going to come and don't know where you are in life or God has spoken to your heart about something or we'll be here to pray with you, encourage you. Whatever we can do to, to help you is our desire. So I'm going to pray and then we'll stand, we'll sing, and then we'll finish. Father, I love you. I thank you for the word. Man, I, I like the passage, God. I like to be told what to do, and I like to be told how to do it. 
and you used Jude to do that. Thank you. Lord, right now in, in this place, there's some people that may be hurting, struggling, trying to figure things out. God, I pray you'll speak to their hearts, and I pray you'll be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Hey,